Well, do you have your Bibles open to John chapter number one? I hope you do. You know, it has been uh, such a blessed, but really a strange kind of season, at least for me, uh, here around Brookstone over the last few weeks. If you think about it, four weeks ago was Christmas weekend. And so uh, December the 26th was a Sunday, the day after Christmas. And of course, our church family was really scattered that day as folks were out with family uh, celebrating Christmas. And then the following weekend, of course, was New Year's weekend. And that was a, a busy travel weekend as well. And that was the time when we began to really see this COVID surge. You know, it was that weekend that we had seven of our staff members who were out that Sunday because of COVID. They had COVID themselves. And then last Sunday, I was out with COVID. And now today, uh, I'm back and all of you are at home because of, uh, because of the snowstorm. So can I just say, I miss you. I really do. I miss uh, being on our regular routine and being together faithfully week after week. And man, I'm looking forward uh, to getting back to that. So let's make an agreement, can we? Next Sunday, let's all get here, right? No snow and no COVID, and we're just all going to be together uh, as we gather to worship. I'm looking forward to being back together with you with things being a bit more normal. But you know, even in the midst of all of that kind of craziness of these last few weeks, it really has been a blessed season. We've seen people coming to faith in Jesus over the last couple of weeks. Really interesting and, and encouraging story. There was a lady who came by our church uh, last week who had been visiting a few Sundays. I'm not exactly sure how many times, but she had been here for a few Sundays. She stopped by the office uh, during the week and just said, I need to talk to a pastor. And so she came in, she met with one of our pastors, and here in our office, she gave her life to Jesus. So praise God for that. Even, even during the middle of the week and in the midst of, of craziness, people are coming to faith in Christ. And then last Sunday, we were able to break ground on the new student center, and that process has begun. That project is underway. We launched our lift classes for the winter semester this past Wednesday night uh, with great success. Many of you were huddled up in Bible studies uh, on both of our campuses this past Wednesday. Our life groups for 2022 have now launched with, I think, over 100 new life or 100 life groups total uh, uh, gathering now as we begin uh, the year of 2022. Uh, and last Sunday, we embraced together this really uh, thrilling vision that God is calling us to in 2022. And so these are good days around Brookstone. It's just good to be a part of what God is doing here. And I'm so humbled and grateful to be a part of it with you. I want to talk to you a little bit about this vision today. And, and so let me begin, and, and I'll apologize now for sipping on my water as we go. I, I have a lingering tickle in my throat, a lingering cough uh, from, uh, from COVID over the last week. And so please forgive me for sipping as we, as we go through the service today. But uh, let me remind you of uh, the three essential elements of the vision that God has given to us as a church family for 2022. And I'm going to give them to you in the reverse order that I gave them to you last Sunday, okay? So last Sunday we talked about the fact that in 2022 we will pray more frequently and more fervently than we ever have 
in the past. We want to raise the value of prayer as we go through this year. And so we're including this initiative in prayer as, our, as a part of our vision, not just to say we're going to raise the value of it or embrace the value of it, but we're going to strategically uh, make it a part of our vision. And we're going to take some really practical steps in that way. So we're going to pray more frequently and fervently than ever before. Secondly, in 2022, <coughs> pardon me, we will launch two new campuses as we seek to surround the city of Asheville with the gospel. And we talked about this in some detail last week, that we are looking to strategically encompass our city with campuses which will reach this city and our county and our region with the gospel. And then thirdly, last week, we talked about the fact that in 2022, we will invite 20,000 of our friends and our relatives, our co-workers, our classmates, and our neighbors to come and see Jesus at Brookstone Church. 2022, we're going to invite 20,000 of our loved ones to come and see Jesus at Brookstone. Now, we've set about implementing this vision already, and I want to talk to you about that today. Specifically, I want to talk to you about this gospel initiative of inviting 20,000 of these people that we love to come and see Jesus. Now, there's something really important that I need to say to you at the outset, because I don't want you to misunderstand this particular point of our vision. And so I want you to listen to me very, very closely. If we were in the room together today, I would say, if you're listening, say amen. That's right. So, so if you're listening, say amen. Okay. I heard you. I want you to know that this, this vision of inviting 20,000 people to come and see is not a church growth initiative. I want to say it again. This is not a church growth initiative. Our goal, our mission is not church growth. This is a gospel imperative. We've said for, for uh, decades here at Brookstone, our mission is to reach people with the gospel. The church becomes what the church becomes as the Holy Spirit builds it. It's his church. But we don't in, engage in church growth initiatives. What we do is that we engage in gospel imperatives. And this is a rescue mission for our loved ones. Hear me. We're not inviting anybody to come see Brookstone Church. <laughs> We're inviting everybody to come to Brookstone Church and see our wonderful Lord and be transformed by the same Lord that has transformed and is transforming our lives. So as we launch into this new year and we embrace this new vision, I want you to understand it. We're not about growing the church. We're about reaching the lost with the good news of the gospel of Jesus. But let's drill down on that just a little bit. As we think about inviting 20,000 of our loved ones to come and see Jesus, let's think about who it is, what it is exactly that we are inviting them to come and see. And the Apostle Paul answers that question in this preamble that we're going to read today, his preamble to this narrative of the life of Jesus that make up the 21 chapters of the Gospel of John. Would you follow along with me? I'm going to read our text today beginning in verse number one. It's John chapter one, 
beginning in verse 1. You follow along. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not, or could not hold it back or contain it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, many of you know that this John in verse number 6 is not John the Apostle, the author of this gospel. This is referring to John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. Now, I might just stop right there and insert what, what an incredible inspiring example John the Baptist is for us, sent from God to those of his day so that the people in his circle who heard his preaching, the people of those, of those days in that time, so that they might believe God sent John. And in the same way, loved ones, God has sent me, he has sent you into our circles with our friends and relatives and associates and neighbors and classmates and co-workers so that through our witness, our invitation to come and see, they might believe. You know, we have the same mission, the same gospel imperative that John the Baptist had. He says in verse number eight, he, John, was not that light, just as you and I aren't that light. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lights every man that comes into the world. Verse 10, he, Jesus, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, born of God. Verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. It was the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And John bare witness of him and cried out, saying, this was he of whom I spake. He that comes after me is ahead of me, or he that comes after me is preferred before me. For he was before me, and of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And no man has seen God <coughs> at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him to us." Now, I said that this is John's preamble to the gospel narrative that will take up these following chapters that make up the gospel of John. And in these first 18 verses of this gospel, we have John's declaration of who it is that we are inviting people 
to come and see. Let me direct your attention to the first three words in chapter number one. Maybe you'll take your pen and uh, just underline those words or, or circle those words. Notice them. John begins his gospel in the same way, by the way, that Moses began uh, Genesis chapter number one. He begins his gospel in John chapter one by saying, in the beginning, in the beginning. And with these three words, John does something profound. And that is that he sets all of life's circumstances in their proper perspective. He sets all of life's difficulties and hardships in their proper perspective. Now, I think you'd agree with me, wouldn't you, that there is no shortage of difficulties in our world today. There's no shortage of crises. They're everywhere. You know, obviously, we have the crisis of the pandemic now going into, what, our third year of, the, of this uh, COVID pandemic. So there's the crisis of the pandemic, but then there's the crisis of the global and our national response to the pandemic and everything involved with that. There's a crisis of confidence in America right now, a crisis of confidence in our leadership. There's a crisis of division among our nation. There are multiplied personal crises that all of us deal with, family crises and, and marriage difficulties, uh, sicknesses in our family, cancers, hardships, financial difficulties, multiply these by every person and you will realize and feel the weight of the burdens of this life. And what John does in these three words in the first verse of his gospel is that he takes every single one of these crises that all of us wake up to every morning of our lives and that every person that you know wakes up to these and countless other crises every day. And John takes them all. He collects all of our individual and our collective burdens and hardships and problems and worries. And he puts them into their proper perspective. He puts them in the perspective of the reality of a God who transcends all of it. Look at verse 1. In the beginning, here's the fourth word, God. In the beginning, God. And this is, this statement, in the beginning, God, is the welcome mat to the house of come and see. It really is. It is the welcome mat where we invite 20,000 of our, our friends and our relatives and our neighbors, our classmates and co-workers, and we invite them to come and see a God to come to the house where there is a God who transcends all of the difficulties of this life. We're inviting them to come and meet a God who predates our predicaments and who will outlast our difficulties. And in the perspective of this eternal God, I come with my arms full of the difficulties and the hardships and the hurts and the hang-ups of life. 
When John writes this preamble to his gospel, he reminds us that our invitation to come and see is an invitation, write this down, to come and see the God who is before all things. To come and see the God who is before all things. Verse 1, in the beginning. The word beginning means exactly what it says. The origin of. At the commencement. That would be another way to say it. At the commencement of all things. At the commencement of creative history. At the commencement of human history, human experience. At the commencement, at the very beginning, there was God. I mentioned that Moses began the book of Genesis the same way. And he said, in the beginning, the Hebrew word for beginning in Genesis 1.1 means at the start. At the original cause of all things, there was God. In fact, I want you to to jot these things down today. We're going to talk for a few minutes about four essential realities that were present at the beginning. Four central realities that were present before the beginning. Write it down. In the beginning, number one, there was God. In the beginning, there was God. This is verses 1 Uh, and two of John chapter one. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Three times in those two verses, you have this reality of the eternal God, the originator of all things. And when human history began, before my personal history or your personal experience began, God was there. Now, so much could be said about this. I just want to turn back briefly to Psalm 66 and share with you a couple of verses in Psalm 66. And if you want to turn, you can. Maybe you'll go look it up later, if not right now. But in Psalm 66, the psalmist speaks to us about the glories of this God. Now, how many passages could we turn to, right? To think about the glories of our God who predates our difficulties, and who will outlast our hardships. But listen to what Psalm 66 says about him. Look at Psalm 66 in verse 3. He says in verse number 3, Say unto God, how awesome are you in your works. That's interesting. Not just how awesome are your works, though that's true, but how awesome are you, O God. God is awesome. Years ago, we used to sing a a, a contemporary praise chorus, one of the first ones we ever began to sing, which uh, said, our God is an awesome God. Remember that? Our God is an awesome God. This is the truth of who he is, that God is awesome in his works. Not simply awesome in a distant kind of way where we look to him, he's distant from us, and we say he's awesome. But Psalm 66.3 says he's awesome in his works. He's active. That is, he's engaged in our world. That means he's involved in my life. And he's awesome in his works in this world. Verse number three, say unto God, how awesome are your works how, uh, through the greatness of your power. 
Now, the word greatness means the abundance of. And so it would be like this. It means to overflow. So if my, if my uh, uh, Brookstone mug, uh, which, by the way, you get at the Brookstone coffee shop any Sunday morning, if my, if my Brookstone mug were filled with water to the brim, and it were, every time I bumped it, if it were just sloshing out, you would say that there is an abundance of water in that mug. It is, it is great in its abundance. Here's what the Bible says about God. That he is awesome, that he's awesome in his work in my life and in this world, and that he has overflowing power. He has complete authority, and he has ultimate strength and power. Through the greatness of your power shall your enemies submit themselves to you. Wow, this God who predates our predicaments and who will outlast our hardships, who transcends all of life, this God is awesome in his power, awesome in his work. He has complete authority, and we know that his enemies do and ultimately will submit to him. Do you sometimes feel like the enemy is winning? Do you sometimes feel like evil is prevailing? Do you sometimes feel like there's a conspiracy of evil in this world? Know this, that our God has ultimate and awesome power and authority and his enemies will bow to him. You know, Paul said it this way in Philippians, that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look at verse number 7. Psalm 66 and verse 7 says, He rules by his power forever, and his eyes behold the nations. That He is engaged in the nations. He is aware of what's happening in the nations. He is working among the nations, and he is ruling. So nothing happens in this world. Listen to me. Nothing Not one thing happens in the kingdoms of this world that is not under the authority, the rule, and the power of God. In the beginning, God. John says that he is this God who transcends all of creation, all of life, and all of our difficulties. Go back to John chapter 1. In the beginning, there was God. And number two, John says, in the beginning, there was Christ. In the beginning, there was Christ. Again, verse number one, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same, that is the Word, was present in the beginning with God. Now, John uses the Greek word logos, L-O-G-O-S, logos, which is translated in our English Bibles, word, W-O-R-D. He uses logos to identify the person of Jesus Christ. Now, you should know that the word logos was a word that was very common in John's day. It was prevalent, used frequently in Greek philosophy and in literature. Uh, It is a word which means the declaration of something that is so, or the reason for something, or the expression of what is so. So the the people of John's day knew the word logos. It It is the reason for God. 
It is the statement or the truth or the expression of who God is. And so John takes this very common word and he applies it to the person of Jesus. And he says, Jesus is the Logos. Jesus is the Word. We don't have to doubt that. We would know that simply from verse number one. But if you need a little more certainty, look at verse number 14. He makes no mistake about it. And the Word, the Logos, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Son of God. Do you see what he does there? He, he says that in the beginning there was God, but in the beginning there was also, with God, there was Christ. Christ was in the beginning. Now what John is doing is that he is affirming the divinity of Jesus Christ. He is clearly saying in John chapter 1 that Christ is divine, that Christ is God, and that Christ existed in the beginning, before the beginning. Verse number one, in the beginning was the Word. He existed before the beginning. And before the beginning, He was with God. And before the beginning, Christ was God. Look at verse number 15, John chapter 1. He says, John the Baptist bore witness of him, cried, saying, This was he, Christ, is he of whom I've been speaking. He that comes after me is ahead of me, is preferred before me, for he was before me. Well, we know that John the Baptist was born six months before Jesus Christ was born. But when John the Baptist came preaching, he says, The one that came after me that's been preaching about me, that I've been preaching about, actually came before me. He's preferred before me. He is ahead of me. He predates me. He didn't just predate John uh, by a few months or a few years. He predated John by eternity. And so he he says that he uh, uh, existed before John the Baptist. And then in verse 14, John affirms the divinity of Jesus by saying he's glorious. He, He came and dwelt among us, verse 14, and we beheld his glory. Here's what we could tell, that his glory was no human glory. Listen, the glory of Christ was no glory that, that, that came because of some royal robe or some great signet ring denoting some great power. No, the glory of Christ was the glory of the Son of God. Only God could have that glory. What John is saying is that in the beginning there was God. And in the beginning there was Christ. And that Christ is glorious. In fact, Jesus affirmed this in his high priestly prayer of John 17, verse 5, when he prayed this, Jesus prayed these words, and now, Father, glorify me with your own presence, uh, in your own presence, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus prayed that. Jesus says, I had glory with the Father because I am divine. I am God. Are you with me? In the beginning, before you and I had difficulties, before our circumstances arose, before there was any crises in our lives, before we were struggling in the ways that we, the the burdens that we carry, transcending all of that, predating it all, there was God and there was Christ. Third reality, third essential reality of of in uh, the beginning was that in the beginning there was life. You see this in verse number four. In the beginning, there was life. In him 
was life. In Christ was life. In him was life, and this life was the light of men. I want to say it to you this simply, that before the beginning, before creation, before anything existed, Christ was living. He was gloriously existing and living in absolute divinity uh, in and of himself. In fact, it is Christ whom John says gives life to everything. Look at verse 3. All things. How many things? Not most things, not some things, not a few things. All things. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Before the beginning there was God, there was Christ, and there was life in Christ. He, he gave life to all uh, creation. In fact, verse number 10, the Bible says he was in the world and the world was made by him. And so Christ gives life to all things. You know, one of the, in fact, many would say the chief question in the study of or the discipline of philosophy is the question of why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there something rather than nothing? It really is the question of where did we come from? Where did all of life come from? And secularism says that all life has evolved upward from lesser forms of life. That in the beginning there was no life, and then somehow there was a cosmic collision, and from that cosmic collision, life sprang. Well, John would say no. John would say a thousand times no. Life did not evolve from lesser forms. In the beginning, there was life. And that life existed in Christ. And Christ, with his own life, has now created all things and given life in all of creation. In the beginning, there was God. In the beginning, there was Christ. And in the beginning, there was life. John 5, 26, Jesus says that God the Father and God the Son eternally have life in themselves. In John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in John chapter number 20 and verse number 31, John writes, These things are written that you may believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and that believing you may have life in his name. There was God, there was Christ, there was life. And then the fourth essential reality before there was anything is that there was light. There was God, there was Christ, there was life, and there was light. You know, light is the expression of truth as opposed to darkness which is the presence of deceit or secrets or lies. Light is the expression of what is right and what is true. And what John teaches us is that Christ is the perfect expression of truth. He's the perfect expression of light. In fact, he says in verse number 14 that we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
that he is the expression of what is true. In fact, in verse number four, he says that the light uh, or the life of Christ brings us uh, life. He says in verse number five, that light, the light of Christ drives out darkness. He says in verse nine, that the light of Christ illuminates the hearts of men. Christ brings light. And when we muddle through darkness, when our lives are covered or shrouded in darkness, when the darkness of sin holds us in bondage, or when the darkness of depression or discouragement or despair keeps us from thriving and enjoying the blessing of God in our lives, we can be reminded that before any of our circumstances existed, God existed, Christ existed, there was life and there was light. And that light illuminates the hearts of all of us. Colossians 1 verse 13 says that to know Christ is to have been brought from darkness into light. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Are you with me? Before there was a beginning, there was God. There was Christ, there was life, and there was light. And this, loved ones, is the welcome mat to come and see. This is who it is that you and I are being compelled by the Holy Spirit in 2022 to invite our friends and relatives and neighbors and associates and classmates and co-workers to bring them to come and see, to come and see this God who transcends all of life and all of life's difficulties, who was at the beginning, who predates our predicaments, and who will outlast our hardships. How does he do that? How does he he transform us? Well, John, in John chapter number one, having pointed us to these four realities that, that existed before the beginning, he then drills down on, he then emphasizes the work of Christ. Let me wrap up by just talking for a few minutes about the work of Christ. He talks to us about the work of Christ. And we could talk about, and I mentioned it earlier, the work of Christ in creation. But let's, let's focus more on verse number 14, how that Christ comes into the world and his work in this world. So three things I would point out to you. Verse 10, verse 14 speak to us about the work of incarnation. That that is, that we're inviting people to come and see the incarnate God. Think about this. We're we're celebrating the, 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 the awesome works and the power and the authority of this God who before the beginning of creation existed with Christ and life and light, But how is it that this God who is so glorious and powerful and divine and transcendent, how is it that he can change my life? How how is it that, that his reality can change my reality? Well, only through the incarnation, through this glorious truth that is in fact the gospel or the, the, uh, the beginning of the message of the gospel. It is that this God who is transcendent has become intimate. This God who is distant has come near. Listen, this God who I could never have known has made himself known 
to us. Verse number 10, he was in the world. Who was in the world? He who was in the beginning. He who was with God. He who was God. He who existed in his glory and his awesomeness and his power and his authority. Verse 10, he was in the world. It is the wonder of the incarnation. It is the miracle that God would condescend to us. That he would walk among us. That he would put on sandals. That he would wear flesh. That he would be tempted in every point like me. That he would endure this life yet without sin. He came. Verse number 14. The word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Doesn't, doesn't simply mean that he came to visit us like an angel coming and speaking a word and leaving. When it says that he dwelt among us, it means that he pitched his tent. And listen, no cameo appearance here. He's not just shown up in one scene and he's gone. He came to be with us. This is the work of Christ to invade our world with this divine and eternal and transcendent God. Secondly, he changes our lives by the work of revelation. In verse number 14, he says, he was, he was in the world, he was made flesh, he dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. We saw his glory. And it was the glory of the only begotten, the one and only Son of God. Some, somehow, suddenly, John says, this God who's so glorious we, we could never behold his presence. Now this God we can see. We can behold his glory because he came among us. Verse number 18 says, no man has seen God at any time. We could not see him. The only begotten of God, the only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him to us. You know, in John 14, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm, I'm going away. Where I'm going, you can't come. And uh, Philip says to him, uh, well, how, how do you know? We, how, how can you say we know the way that you're going? We don't know. And then Philip says this, show us the Father. Show us God, and that'll be good enough for us. <laughs> and Jesus sort of shook his head. He said, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still don't get it? Get it? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father is in me and I in the Father. You know why the presence of Christ can change our lives? Because in Christ, I see God. In Christ, this transcendent and eternal and powerful, magnificent God has been revealed to me. And then thirdly, the work of Christ in his incarnation and his revelation changes our lives. But thirdly, his work of redemption changes our lives. And really, this is, this is the gospel. That this God whom we could never have known has come into our world. He has revealed himself to us in Christ. And now he has redeemed us through his work. Look at verse number 12. John 1 and verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power, authority, right? He gave power to become the sons of God. I got to tell you, 
This is, this is an incredible, unspeakable reality. That the sons of men, who by our very nature, Paul says in Ephesians, are the children of wrath, deserving of the wrath of God, separate from him because of our sin. John says in chapter 1 and verse 12, those who receive him, he gives authority or the right to become no longer just sons of men, sons of Adam, but sons of God, that we are brought into his family. And as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so my life can be changed because this transcendent God who predates my predicaments and who will outlast my hardships has come to me, revealing God to me and inviting me to believe that he has in fact walked in my shoes, borne my sins, died in my place, risen from the dead, and if I will believe it and receive him, then I can be made a son of God. And all 20,000 people that we will invite this year can become sons and daughters of God because they can believe and receive him. Once we believe and receive, verse number 13, we will be born again. Not of blood, not of the flesh, not our earthly birth, but our second birth. We will be born not of the will of man, but of God. We will be born again. And then he goes on to say that when we believe and receive and we are born again, verse number 16, then we will walk in grace and of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. It means grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Now, loved ones, we know that our world is in a mess. And as I mentioned earlier, there is no shortage of crises in the world, globally, nationally, and personally. And yet, we can believe and receive. We can be born again, and then we can wake up every morning to grace upon grace. Well, I have this hardship. Well, there's grace. Well, there's a pandemic, and maybe they're, they're, they're taking my rights. Well, there's grace. But, but, but what about the, 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 the cancer diagnosis I got? But there's grace. Well, but what about somebody I love died? But there's, are you with me? There's grace upon grace. Why? Because this God whom I could have never known, this God who transcends all of the problems of my life, all of the circumstances of this world, this powerful, authoritative, awesome God who is distant and unknowable, according to John chapter number one, who predated the beginning and who was the cause of all things, the creator of all things, he has come in the person of his son. And he has pitched his tent here. And he has walked in our shoes. And he has borne our sins. And he has died on the cross and risen from the dead. And now I can walk in grace. So here your pastor this morning. Our vision for 2020 is to invite 20, 2022 I should say, is to invite 20,000 of our friends and relatives, neighbors, associates, co-workers, classmates, to come and see. But it's not an invitation to come and see a church. The church is not the light. The people and the programs of Brookstone are not powerful enough 
to save a single soul or to wash away a single sin. We're not inviting people to come see a church. And neither is our invitation to come and see an invitation to come and see a distant, harsh, unforgiving God. But neither is our invitation an invitation for them to come and see a weak and a feckless God who gives a wink and a nod to sin and says, I'm okay, you're okay, everybody will be okay. It's not that kind of an invitation. Our invitation is to come and see a God who is glorious in his power, who is absolutely perfect in his holiness, and who is completely righteous in his demands of holiness upon our lives. <laughs> but who is everlastingly merciful and redeeming and slow to anger and quick to forgive and who welcomes every single one of our 20,000 loved ones who will receive him and believe in him. They will be welcomed into his family so that all of our individual and collective crises and problems and struggles and hurts and hang-ups, so that all of those can be brought into perspective and I can live in my life in this world in intimate fellowship with a God who always has been. I do not despair because I have seen I have heard, I have believed, I have received this God who was in the beginning. You and I have a great mandate this year, and it is to take the news of this God and to invite all of our loved ones to come and to hear about it. I hope you're going to be engaged in that. I hope you're going to be a part of carrying out this mission and this vision this year. And I believe that together... We are going to see many, many people come to faith in Christ in 2022. Well, listen, you've been so patient with me. I love you. I love being able to preach the word of God to you. And I look forward to next Sunday morning when you and I are going to be together in this worship center as we come together to worship the Lord Jesus next Sunday morning. God bless you, church. I'll see you next week.